Amen, 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 amen. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Um, awesome again to, uh, to have you here gathered with us here at the bridge. Appreciate Jacob and company lead us in that, leading us in that time of worship and uh, really thrilled to see you um, gathered with us. Uh, just as a reminder again, because often we have people who filter in as we are making our way through the service, um, tonight, uh, 6.30, Nights of Worship, uh, Nights of Worship uh, begins, and uh, it's our first one, uh, and we'll be looking forward to doing more, probably about one a quarter, and we would love for you to come and be a part of this first one. It's going to be really, really amazing. We're trusting that God's going to move in a powerful way. Um, you can see we're already in the process of setting up, getting everything ready to go, so um, uh, yeah, yeah, make sure you come and join us tonight. It's going to be going to be a pretty powerful evening. Um, also want to remind you about uh, the Global Leadership Summit that is happening Thursday and Friday of next week, so August 11 and 12, and this is a uh, we're a premier host site, which means that you can come here and view the Global Leadership Summit right here on a big screen. We'll put a huge screen across our stage here, and it'll be live from Chicago at the Willow Creek Church, and uh, you'll get to hear all the presentations. Pretty, uh, you might have a little hesitation because you got to come watch the screen, but it really, you get the feel like you're, you're in it, like you're there. I mean, it really uh, comes across very, very nicely. I've watched a number of uh, summits from host sites before, and so uh, please come out. Um, August 11 and 12, you can register. Uh, go to our church website, forsakechurch.org. There's still time to, to register. There's still time to get um, a little bit of a break on the price because you're a member or a tender here, and uh, we can help you with that as well if you want to reach out to me, call whatever. So uh, is that good? Everybody good? Yeah? Amen? I don't know how this is going to go today. <laughs> A little worry about that, amen. It's all right. Hey, pray with me and we'll dive into our, into our time this morning. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath and rest and worship. And Father, as we spend this time, we pray that your spirit would dwell in this place. That you would move in a very profound way. That as we talk about leadership and as we talk about how we can best serve you, may we not forget how you served. And may we, may we be inspired by the way that you served. May we, be, may we desire to serve in the same way that you did. Father, thank you again for Sabbath and today and that we can gather. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here with us last week, you recall we kicked off a series on leadership. And um, we talked a bit about, and we'll continue kind of the theme through this series, is talking about self-leadership. And last week, we, um, we talked about how important meeting the test of self-leadership is. And we took the example of, of King David. And actually, he wasn't even king this, in the story that we took, but he was on his way to being king. And he faced the most significant leadership test, and that is how well we lead ourselves. And in that critical moment, because he knew how vital it was to lead himself well, because the way he leads himself will determine how well he leads others, and in that vital moment, we saw him lead himself well, which led to others being freed. 
That's the power of good self-leadership. And what we saw happen there, you remember the story, it says that in the critical moment, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And we said, man, if you want to meet the test of self-leadership, you have to, you have to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. And indeed, he is your God. He's your God. So when... The challenges come and they will come. When the tests of your leadership come and they will come, the test of, of leadership, the most vital test is how well you lead yourself. And if you lead in the way that David did, man, much happens for the kingdom of God. Amen? Things happen for God and good things happen. And people come to know the greatness of our God. People come to know the greatness of our God. So today we're going to shift a little bit, still in the same vein of self-leadership, but we're going, to, we're going to take it a little bit differently. I want, to, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians. We're going to be in the first chapter of Philippians, so turn there with me, or some of you will just sort of look at the screen, and that's cool. It's a big chunk of, of, of text here, but stay with me. They're going to be really, really important. And we're going to grab some other passages throughout the book of Philippians. But let's go to Philippians. I'm going to read the entire section. Uh, hang with me. A little bit of the context so that we can uh, glean some value from it as we read it. But Paul, uh, one of the most prolific authors in the New Testament, is writing. He's writing to friends, people he cares about, people he founded a church with people who came to Christ because of his ministry and his leadership. And he's writing to, these, to his friends, really, his brothers, his sisters in the faith. And he is essentially encouraging them, even though his own personal circumstances are quite difficult, quite dire. He's writing to them, and he's writing a letter, a very personal letter, a very heartfelt letter, to encourage them to build them up. So listen to these words. These, this isn't just any letter. This isn't a business letter. This isn't like a letter coming from Paul, who is like the conference president, to just tell the church, get your act together, right? This is, this is coming from a pastor and a guy who loves these people very, very deeply. So we're going to read chapter 1 of Philippians, starting in verse 3, and we'll go all the way through 11. All right, follow along. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the, day, from, from the first day until now. Verse 6. Hang on to verse 6. It's going to be really, really important. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way. Listen to this guy, man. He's writing, and he's writing with some feeling because these folks matter to him. He loved, I love that. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Think he cares about these folks? Verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. 
Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that's the passage as our backdrop. I want you to think about this. All along our lives, as we've come through our lives, you and I, you and I have likely encountered people who seem to kind of have, they sort of have it all. They would, they, we would say that they were the complete package. For example, they, they probably had like just the right kind of hair, right? They had, they had the right hair. And they, they didn't really have to do much to it, but their hair was just good. It was just like, they were, and they were the right height, and they had the right smile. And they could wear, they could wear anything. They could wear a hospital gown and it looked good on them, right? They just sort of had the full package. And then, and then to top it all off, they had a pretty decent personality. They were actually nice. They're pretty cool. Great smile. And people naturally followed them, right? And then, then th these people, you know, these people that just kind of had everything, they would find another person that kind of had everything. And then the two everythings get together. And they become like the perfect couple, right? It's, it's Beyonce and Jay-Z, all right? That's, that's what it is. It's, it's Brad and Angelina. Perfect hair, perfect teeth, perfect life. They look right. Everybody loves them, and everybody wants to follow them. They just irritate you, don't they? <laughs> People like that. And then they produce perfect little children, too, right? And the little kids look perfect, and they got it, everything together. And It's just these people that seem to have everything, just the total package, the complete package. You, ever, you met people like that? Yeah. See, some of y'all were some of those people. I don't like you at all. No. Some of y'all were some of those people. Here's the thing. The Bible does a great job of encouraging us. Because the Bible levels the, the playing field and it says, look, nobody really has it all. And perhaps, you know, by all appearances, it may seem like they've kind of got it all, they've got the total package. But no one leader really has everything. The Bible really kind of helps us to begin to understand that, 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 hey, there's hope for all of us because nobody really has everything. In fact, if we look long and hard enough at those who seem to appear to have everything, that God just blessed them with an abundance of talent and leadership and everything, we would probably find some flaw in there somewhere, right? There's something that isn't quite right. And at least on a spiritual level, what we understand from the Bible is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we at least, those of us who aren't perfect, have that going for us, right? <laughs> the Bible seems to come along and remind us that, hey, we're all in this process together. We're all sort of coming along and that's a beautiful thing when we think about how gracious God, toward, God is towards us, that we don't really have the whole package. And God is gracious and patient towards us. And he allows us to be in process. Hey, think about, think about this even. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, I believe it's chapter 52. Jesus, 
from our human standpoint, didn't even have it all together. He wasn't even the total package. Now, we know Jesus was perfect, but, but listen to Isaiah chapter 53, actually. Chapter 53, verse 2. It says, he grew up, talking about Jesus. This is Isaiah pr- prophesying about Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So even Jesus, you think you don't have it all. Even Jesus came. And from a human standpoint, he didn't, ha- he didn't even have everything, if you will. So the beauty, the beauty of this thing is that you and I, God allows for us to be in process. If you're a leader, and we, all, we decided last week, hey, we're all leaders. The cool thing is, while you may not have everything, you are in process. God is working dynamically in your life to move you towards something, and you are going to be and you can be, we all can be better leaders. We're in process. Now, the other thing about this thing, and that's, you're going to hear me probably use quite a few of these P words, um, process. There's another word that we have to think about when we're talking about this idea of, of leadership and not having it all, and yet God has got us in a process. And that is um, this idea that we get from verse 6. If you go back to Philippians and we look at verse 6, this is a very hopeful passage. Look at verse 6, chapter 1 of Philippians. It says, being confident of this, listen to this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work, God initiated this process, good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. God is doing something There's something dynamic. But here's the deal about process, especially if you're a leader. Process isn't enough. What we we desire and what's really important to leaders is this other P word, and that is progress. Progress. It's one thing for us to accept the reality of the fact that through God's grace and his patience and mercy towards us, that he allows us to be in process. But within that process, we have to move. Elbow the person next to you and say, move. Oh, you got to do it better than that. One, two, three. Move. I want to I hear like somebody say, ouch, you know, because you hit them so hard. We got to move. So there's got to be some progress. When I was a kid, I convinced my parents that I needed a hamster. You go through these phases as kids where you need pets, right? And the easiest pet to convince your parents of, because they think it's fairly low maintenance, is it's either a hermit crab or a hamster. <laughs> I went with the hamster. And one of the things we enjoyed watching with this, this hamster was he'd get on that little wheel in the hamster cage. Y'all have a hamster? Y'all were deprived children. That's, there's something wrong with you. Your parents didn't let you have pets. The hamster would get on the hamster wheel, and he just there, and he would go, 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 go. We just thought it was the, most, the greatest thing in the world. Look at him go. But he wasn't going anywhere. He was just spinning. One of the most frustrating things for you as a leader, both personally and perhaps professionally, is when things aren't progressing, when things aren't moving, when things simply stay in process. 
And you just sort of spin. It's like tre- running on a treadmill. I hate treadmills. You just sit there. You just, it's the most boring thing. When I first started running, I would get on that silly treadmill. And then I learned the beauty of running outside. I was like, God, freedom. Because there's something within us that says we have to progress. Even though we're in a process, we've got to move. And here's the other truth about progress. It brings happiness. It brings joy. If you look at the book of Philippians closely, you'll find that there's this this very strong thread of joy and happiness woven throughout the book. That Paul's communicating to the people Joy. My circumstances are dire. They're, they're rough. Things are bad. But there is joy because we are ultimately what we're going to get to is that we're making progress. Progress brings deep satisfaction and fulfillment. And it puts a smile on your face. Amen. Amen. It's like um, I do, I've been doing some, um, some premarital work with a couple. And um, we usually get together on Sabbath afternoons after after church, and it's been, we've been meeting together for several weeks, and, and it's, we've had some rough patches along the way where, you know, the couples come in, and this is normal, all right? If you go to get some help with your, with your potential marriage and, you, you know, some premarital help, it's okay to have some issues in there. We work through those things, and uh, sometimes they come in, and one sits on this side of the sofa, and the other one sits on this side of the sofa, and there's no lovey-dovey, hand-holding, kissing, none of that. It's just weird, woo, woo, you know, it's pretty bad. And then recently, here in the last uh, several weeks, I had them come in, and they sat down, and they were real close. <laughs> they were real close. And they were, like, pecking each other on the cheek and holding hands and smiling. And this is what they said. Because I always start out with the question, so how did it go? How have the last couple of weeks have been? How have the last couple of weeks been? And they said, We made progress. The relationship has had some rough spots, and and we realize we're in a process here, and it's it's coming along, but we made some progress. We're communicating better, and and I don't don't want to punch him anymore. (laughs) She doesn't call me that name anymore. We made some progress. Progress brings a great deal of happiness and fulfillment and joy. You can handle a lot of stuff if you think that you're moving towards something and progress. So let me, and let me, let me drop this in on you right here. This, this completion thing that, that the passage talks about in verse 6, this completion thing is, is, is centers around, in other words, if you're asking where we're going, we're going towards Christ-centeredness. Christ-centeredness, the fruit of that Christ-centeredness is deeper love, deeper patience, deeper grace. All those words are used here, even in the passage, towards ourselves and towards other people. There's just a deeper amount of it. Now, here's the other thing that has to do with, um, that comes up as we start talking about progress. Sometimes we begin to think and confuse progress with perfection. And this is, the, this is sort of the heart of what I want to get at today. When we're talking about progress, we're not necessarily talking about perfection. What we're talking about is uh, really progressing towards the right direction. 
Progress always demands a certain amount of effort. And what we're after is effort in the right direction. So we're actually after direction, not necessarily perfection. You follow me? We're after direction. In other words, if I can get us turned towards Christ, and we can move in that direction, if we can progress towards Christ and Christ-centeredness, then we're on the right track. Because your perfection was taken care of by Jesus Christ. Amen? Y'all agree with that? What's up with that? In other words, you can't be perfect. If you think you can, there's something already wrong with you. Therefore, you're not perfect. So, perfection was God's work. It always has been. That's why it says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. So, therefore, God has um, done a work of perfection. As you stand before the Lord your God, you are seen as perfect, not because of your works and your perfection, but because of the work that Jesus did in his perfection. So, here's, here's the heart of the message. Perfection is this wonderful gift from God, and we receive it. Perfection is this wonderful gift from God, but then God gives us the blessing of progress. God gives us the blessing of progress. So you and I, you and I have this wonderful gift of perfection, so we're not necessarily concerned about that. But what God does put on us is the effort towards progressing and moving along. You will never get to perfection, but God says, by my spirit, I will move you in the right direction so that you can experience the blessing of progress. In other words, the Christian doesn't just sort of get to sit in, its, in, their, in their Christianness and just sort of sit there and tread water Christianly as a leader. The leader is ultimately looking for how God is going to move them. The Christian leader is ultimately looking for how God is going to move them from here to there. You as a Christian leader, you're looking at how you're going to move your life from here to there. You as you lead whatever organization you lead, or if you lead your family, or if you, as you lead in whatever environment you lead, you're looking not to just sit here, you want to move to over there. That's called vision. That's called God inspiring you to move. Now what's really important here is the catch is to catch what Paul is getting at, because we're going to learn a few things about the power of progressing and moving along. So if we look over here to verses 12 and 13 and 14, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14, it says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, to progress the gospel, right? To advance the gospel. As a result, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. I love the direction Paul takes them. His friends, the people he loves, the people he has great affection for, they are suffering they are in dismay. 
They are, they're, they're questioning their whole calling. They're wondering why they got people opposing them and coming against them. They're, they're not sure about Paul because he's kind of their, he's their quarterback and he's not around them. He's off in prison. They're hearing rumors about him. There's all kinds of chaos going on for his friends, the people he loves. And he's going to give them a little bit of an insight about what happened to them, what happened to him. But he's not going to dwell on what happens to them. And there's a lesson in that. So he, he tells them, look, I, I'm over here. I'm in prison. I'm in chains. But he shifts the conversation and begins to look at something a little bit different. That's why he says in verse 13, he says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, the gospel is advanced more people are hearing the message that we are preaching. What is, he, what is he getting at? He says, I'm not going to dwell a whole lot on what has happened to me. I'm not going to dwell on that. But he says, I want to talk a bit, more, a bit more about my interpretation of what has happened to me. That's really powerful. A lot of what goes on in our lives that we interpret as negative may actually to a certain extent, be God moving us in a certain direction. So Paul says, look, don't dwell on what has happened to you. All of us have a story. We can spend a whole lot of time talking about what has happened to us, and some of us spend way too much time talking about, about what has happened to us. And Paul says, I'm not going to dwell on that, because what is going to give you encouragement, what is going to give you strength to continue in this thing, is if I talk about why it has happened to me. And the way that I'm going to interpret the why is through the Spirit of God helping me to understand a little bit more, to make it clear to me. Because if I can, if I understand my why, if I understand the why, then I can handle any sort of what that comes along. If you if you are going through something and if you are suffering, and that's the reality of just leading life in this world today, there, there's inevitably things that are going to happen to you and me. And no, they don't always make sense, and, and it isn't always completely clear from God. But buried deep within my soul, the day that I became a Christ follower, was the why. Was me being willing to interpret the why. I'm not going to dwell on what because I'm pretty sure about the why. Because he who began a good work in me will someday complete it. And the one, the one that, 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 that believes in me, and the one that, that, that has blessed me, and the one that, that saved me doesn't have it out for me. He's not out to destroy me. If I'm in prison or if I'm suffering, it's not that God is out to destroy me. But in fact, what these circumstances may teach me is that God is working. That I am making progress. If you understand your why, if you understand that your suffering may actually bring glory to God, you can handle any sort of what that comes along. The nature of progress is such that we stay in it, we stick with it, we go through it because there's something driving us, and that's the why. And if my life 
whatever the suffering may be. Listen to what Paul says. Go down to, um, to verse 29. Go down to verse 29, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1 and verse 29. He says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw, you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And Paul says, look, 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 I know what you're going through, I get it. Don't dwell on the what, remember your why. Because he who began a good work in you is at work in you, even though the road seems hard. Even though the suffering is very real, even though it's difficult in this moment, trust that God is doing something in you, and it's going to move you, and it's going to grow you, and you may not have all the answers, but this is the answer underlying all the other answers, and that is because God is doing something within you. So here's, here's, the, um, here's the next thing. Progress often demands an enormous amount of sacrifice. There's just no way that we progress without making any sacrifice. In other words, God may require something of you that is going to be difficult to let go of. The world and the culture work against us in this regard because the world basically says, you can have it all and then some, right? That's what the culture is. Get it all, get it all now, and sure, you can have it all, and it won't cost you anything, and you can have it all right now. But to progress as a leader spiritually, to progress in the arena of leading yourself better, it always demands a sacrifice. So every leader sort of comes to the realization that God may awaken to me. He may make it very, very clear to me what it is I need to give up because I cannot possibly have everything. There's going to be something that I have to give up for the greater gain. Kicked off the Olympics last night, big opening ceremonies. And the thought that kept running through my mind as you see the smiles on all the athletes as they run in, to, as they walk into that, that great coliseum is what on earth. And I actually, saw, I actually saw one of these guys taking in those moments and he was weeping and he was crying. And he was trying to take selfies and pictures and everything, but you know he was crying. Wiping his eyes, pictures, pictures, pictures. And you think about why he's weeping and why it's so emotional. Because that dude had to give up a lot to get there, man. He had to give up a lot. There's some sacrifice that he made, and when he shows up there, it just kind of comes home for him. It just kind of came home for him. Progress always demands a certain amount of sacrifice. Here's the other thing, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. What God is also going to demand of us, and what progress often demands of, demands of us, is this perseverance perseverance if we stay in it if if we're if we're understanding the why if we're understanding that yes God is at work in here even when it's hard and even in the struggle God is at work then if I've got my why and I understand that I don't want to be on a treadmill and I don't want to be on one of those spinning wheels like the hamster 
then I will persevere. I will stay with it. If I'm not real clear on where I'm going and that God is up to something great in my life, it makes it really, really hard for me to stay in it, to have perseverance. I will persevere. I will endure if indeed I believe and I understand that God, he who began a good work in me, is always up to something in me. That he's working, that he's moving, that there is progress that is being made. And every now and then, God will reveal to you, and you will begin to be aware of the progress that you're being made. Remember I talked about the goal, the completion, is Christ-centeredness. Every now and then, you'll kind of turn around, and, and you'll look, and you say, wow. Rather than, rather than responding angrily towards someone, rather than going into attack mode on someone, rather than coming down on myself or someone, I responded in the same way that Christ perhaps would have responded. There's progress happening in me. I'm being not just changed, but I'm being transformed. And you'll endure. Probably one of, the most, one of the most powerful images from our Olympic history is the image of Derek Redmond and his endurance through the pain of a torn hamstring. And um, so just as a way to sort of help bring this all together... I want to finish, I want to end with this video, and I want, you to, I want you to watch this story. It's just a powerful story, and what always jumps out at me is the, the intensity of the father. The father comes out of the stands, and he, he comes to the aid of his son, and all the security is kind of like, look, you're not supposed to be out here, and the father says, you better get away from me. <laughs> this is my son. And I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know how difficult the circumstances are that you are in. And you very well may be in a prison of your own. But there is a father who is fighting for you. There is a father who will lay aside all those circumstances so you as a leader can see, I am doing something with you, and I have not left you alone. And as hard as it hurts right now, as much pain as you're experiencing right now, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up because I am with you.
So God is taking care of your perfection, but he gives you the blessing of progress. Engage in that progress. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this gathering. I pray that your spirit would go with us now. And may we move out with the confidence that Paul had, that he who began a good work in us will complete it on that day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you tonight for worship nights. See you at the Global Leadership Summit.